Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Modern Wisdom Podcast. Today, my guest is Dominic McGregor, COO of Social Chain and old-time Modern Wisdom favorite. Um, I spoke to him about a year ago, and we caught up about how his experience with sobriety and thoughts on social media were going. And today it is time for part two. One year later on, we're finding out how his journey with sobriety and growing the UK's largest social media agency, probably one of the largest in the world. They've got offices in New York and all over the place now. But yeah, he's a fascinating guy. I love sitting down with him. This concludes the third of my series of taking over Social Chain's podcast studios, so hopefully they will let me back very soon. As always, if you do have any thoughts, comments, or feedback about the episode, feel free to get at me at Chris Wellex on all social media. But for now, please welcome Dominic McGregor. I'm joined by Dominic McGregor of Social Chain fame. How are you, man? Good, thank you. How are you? Very good. Welcome to my studio. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's really yeah. lovely last here, episode. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been almost exactly a year since we sat down. Yeah, a year. Yeah, about a year and two weeks. Yeah, yeah. almost exactly bang on. How have you been last year? Yeah, been 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 really good. Um, I, was, I messaged you the other, the other week because I was in the gym, and a lovely woman called um, Tracy. Said to me, oh, I heard you, I heard you on a podcast. I went, oh, 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 hi. She's like the PT there. I've never seen her. She must be new or something. Mm. And she's like, oh, um, well, which one? And she's like, oh, um, mo- uh, Modern Wisdom. I was like, oh, okay. Mm. And she's like, since since I've listened to that podcast, I've stopped drinking. I've done it. I've done six months and my whole life's changed. And Shit I, I was out there like, Oh, I remember why I talk about all this stuff so Sobriety. much. Sobriety. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy for you. And she was really lovely, had a nice conversation. And then I literally, that was as I was walking out of the gym, I picked my phone up and I texted you and said, look. <laughs> got to go again. Got to go again. It's been it's been a year because it came up on my time. Memories. Memories on Facebook, you yeah, know. Man. Everyone checks that every single morning. What was I doing six <laughs> years ago? Oh, my God, delete that. <laughs> Seven years ago, delete that. That's all it is, isn't it? It's just a way of moving the window of whatever you've got going on in your life, just like this. Yeah. So there's nothing after whatever period you've put it. And in seven years' time, you go, oh, my God, I was doing this today. Like, yeah. I'll get rid of that. So <laughs> some of the some of the, some of the <coughs> comments are the most cringiest things I've ever put on. Like, if, if, oh, if you don't look at your memories, look at them. And just think, who was I? <laughs> yeah, you're a different person. You're totally right. But yeah, man, we can it was... to get him out on Doom today. <laughs> no, we're not. However, later on, we are going to look at our suggested videos on YouTube. Do you want to explain what you think about um, suggested videos on YouTube and how they're a window into someone's soul? <laughs> so, yeah, everything, everything, obviously, we social chain work in social media. So um, we do a lot of paid social and advertisements. So we know, we kind of hypothesize that we know people better than they know themselves. But we definitely know we know people better than their spouses or their best friends know people. Because, like, you just, the things you do on your phone and the social media, that gets stored. But no one, you never tell people that. You never sit there and be like, oh, last night I did this, or mm. last night I watched that, or I really like this picture. Um, so we, I went home to York and I was talking to my friends and I was just talking about coming to some of the stuff that you can do on social media now because they all work in like very traditional um, worlds. And I said, you know, all that aside, um, like between us all here, we 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 know each other. Well, we've been friends for for fifteen years now, but we don't really know each other. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and they're like, "What do you mean?" It's like, well, the way I think you can only really know someone, or, for, or the, actually the easiest way to really know someone is what they uh, consume on the internet between the hours of eleven thirty and twelve thirty, <laughs> when no one else is around. <laughs> That's who you are <laughs> that sums it's you up stri- as a person it cuts so deep <laughs> it really cuts so deep that that history of what you've watched you know youtube internet whatever you want to look at it is who you are as a person let's that's, get it out that's on. that's your weird that's your weird thing and that's that's that says more that'll say more about me and more about chris than we can Anything sit here else. and say in an hour, totally hour right. conversation okay um mine are really boring uh, they're well, actually you, you've been like well into Brexit and, and researching that recently is it just a lot of political stuff 
number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Empire. How Britain made the modern world. There we go. It's pretty normal. Pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Number one for me, Little Finger. Little Finger is the protagonist, Game of Thrones ending. <laughs> 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 Straight onto the Game of Thrones content. Yeah. Um, breaking news: Theresa May's Brexit deal rejected. Oh, Got to get a Brexit on there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I scroll through a couple. Um, so, so, Game of Thrones season eight teaser: White Walkers. Yep. Bit of Game of Thrones in there. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing too bad. How China's rise will change the world. I think I've seen that one as well. Uh, yeah. So I've got some Jordan Peterson, yep. Joe Rogan on Leaving Neverland. Uh, is oh it just God, an yeah. image of him and Michael Jackson, which is a bit bizarre. Graham Hancock, uh, Ancient Advanced Technology, Technologies of the Gods. Graham Hancock's like a, an Egyptologist guy. Uh, now, I really don't know how this is on there. So Gary, Gary, v, Gary v Archives is on there. We've got a big Gary V fan in the house. I <laughs> could not be further from the truth about Gary <laughs> V. Now, Gary, if you're listening... Um, uh, actually, just please, please don't listen. Please don't listen, man, because anyone who does a collaboration with K-Swiss to put the words hustle and grind on the bottom of shoes needs to get in the sea. Like, Gary is, I totally get why he is a seductive personality for people at this kind of go-get-a-21st century thing. And Americans, you mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very kind of Americanized... um, make it on your own type uh, approach, which, you know, for for some people that may, might be what they want. But there's a few things that Gary's not going to be able to get around. And one of them is anyone who is listening will know Matthew Walker on Joe Rogan number 1109, Why We Sleep. If you... Um, Great podcast, by the way. Unbelievable podcast. Will be linked in the show notes below. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. And it will change your life. I watched it about a year ago and it changed mine. It's, it's, it's the only podcast which I've listened to which let me sit straight to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But that was like out of desire. <laughs> out of desire. Uh, yeah. um, and I'm always waiting to drop that punchline somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a nerd. I before mean, we started, so before we've come on, we've like nerded out about Game of Thrones and Warhammer and all this stuff, and I've had too much caffeine, <laughs> and now we're, we're just going to bounce between different things that make us seem less and less cool. Well, that's, that's fine. But yeah, man, like that Gary Vee thing, like... You can't get around the fact, Gary, that if you're having four hours sleep a night, you're going to die early. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're just going to die sooner. It's a, it's a fact. He, he, he... Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with... I don't agree with a lot of things he says. I don't agree with, with him. Um, but I think he's, you know, credit. He's found the niche and a demographic of individuals who follow him. Mm-hmm. You know, a bit preachy, but when we look at the world now, we're all trying to find some kind of like way to belong. Mm-hmm. And if people find peace in themselves with supporting him and his attitude and they get progress their life. I don't know. Do I agree with that? Well, it's, it's whether to, am or not. I'm going to try and find something just to say nice. Something nice about Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, you've managed to find one more thing than I can. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like I had to dance <laughs> around it for a bit. You are, you are right. Like he, if he is giving people some form of a sense of I can go and do this, this yeah. is that I have the capacity to work hard and and achieve things, then great. My concern is whether or not people. One of the problems with lumbering, um, lumbering people with the sole duty of making themselves successful means that you completely remove any connection to the bigger picture. Yeah, like your failings and your successes are purely at the behest of your feet. And you're like, well, hang on. That means that anything that I do or don't do is is my own fault. And you're like, well, fucking hell. There's like an awful lot of randomness in the world and an awesome, awful lot of luck. Like you, you are a perfect avatar for someone who is right place, right time, right Mm skill set. Yeah, I I think he, yeah, he, 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 the net, the net impact it'll have will overall be negative because people will criticise themselves because they will put the hours in, they will put the no sleep in, they'll put the grind in and they still won't get anywhere. And now they're going to die early. And they'll burn out. <laughs> but if there's one person who's taken his advice and actually, you know, changed his life and then because of him done something meaningful, mm. that's probably one possible You, you are trying to net, net I, it out. I, that, but that's how I approach everything. Uh, <coughs> I you know, couldn't I, agree more. <laughs> um, I've, got to try and, I've got to try and have that, like, balance. 
balance for you? Well, you're a COO, aren't you? So, you know, you need to be diplomatic with everything that you yeah. do. Um, so you're another year sober now. How long is it now? Two and a half years? Oh, we're on, yeah. Two, two, when it's July and we're in March. So two years, nine months. Wow. Yeah, it's the, the second, this year is like, like literally this year it's just been a weird it's not it's, it's, it's a weird one because it, now it's it's it, the, I'm at a point where I don't remember mm. I really don't remember what it was like to drink mm-hmm. so I'm so past it now that like I'm just beyond it. it it's 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 really hard for me to talk about it now because I just don't recall the feeling like, like a different person yeah yeah and um again like I said I was back home at the week weekend and one of the guys who um, was two years above me from school was there and he said that he's um doing gonna do a year sober because of health and because of things he's he's seen and obviously he said that I was a big influence on it. And I said to him that you don't I think I said last time you don't see an impact until six months. Mm-hmm. So like the whole dry January buzz, like you don't you don't you won't see a difference in the, the, the three weeks, whatever you're doing January. Mm-hmm. You won't see it. You know, for me, the difference like I, f- I saw in the first year and then in the second year is completely nominal to what I'm feeling now. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, which I, is bizarre because at the time you're actually like, oh my god, this is world changing, and yeah. then you in a year and a half goes, that's nothing. That's not, I know. So it's it's like an exponential growth in yourself. Um, obviously, the start is very rapid because there's such dramatic changes. Yeah. But you get to a point now where, like, life isn't like. It's actually going to sound a bit weird, but. People who need to find things like uh, meditation and other, other aspects to find peace uh, and who search their kind of like... Um, Inner self. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I need to do any of that because I've already got it. I've got the balance in myself at the moment already. I don't... I can, I can, just, I can just be mm-hmm. rather than having to like subscribe to like um, quick fixes or other things to try and like focus or relax or... So like, I'm just like in a complete state of okayness. Mm. I wonder how long that equanimity will continue with sobriety because I do think that a lot of that will be due to contrast. Mm-hmm. I De- think definitely. even though you're not potentially able to remember the specific sensation of what it's like to be drunk or hungover, the second order self-referential thoughts will still probably be there like pretty pretty front and center yeah it's all it's all relative so like, yeah so you you'll still be just like in this weird holy heaven of god like i have so much fucking time i have yep. so much fucking money i'm able to have so many more calories like oh, it's fantastic that's part of it yeah i so i went out i did go i went out saturday night till about three in the morning mm-hmm. all right which is it's just you know if you're drinking it's a late night you know i'm not drinking it's a late finish sober yeah. late finish and i i i've been ill since then so like it's all relative but like i'm still going out but i'm feeling worse So like my i've what i have learned this year um is that drinking does build a slight a slight bit of resilience within yourself so i am more when when i over exercise i'm more susceptible to illness 100 percent. um i've got uh issues with my gut which i need to manage because taking alcohol out means that you grow bad bacteria um, is that true? Yeah. So alcohol would yeah. clean it out to yeah. a degree. Alcohol cleans you out, uh, obviously, like a nominal aspect, yeah, nominal yeah, amount yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. But like you, you, you create a, a culture in your gut which allows you to uh, harbor negative bacteria okay. because you're not putting any, any toxins in there to to rid them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've got like there's there's things that you you know you your body is such a wonderful thing um, that everything is in balance. And when you do It'll reach homeostasis eventually. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the point now this year I've been, I've been like discovering this, like other things that you've got to manage. There's always something to manage. So it's been mm. a bit, it's a, again, like my, I've, I've been focusing on my sleep. So when I go out till three o'clock my immune system is like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like get back to bed. Like honestly, it's, it's, if you break the routine, it, it really does, ham- it really does damage, damage me. Mm. Um, so in that, in that sense, like I think that, you know, alcohol has does build resilience, but you can build resilience other ways. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been it's been a fanta- it's been a fantastic journey. Um, like I'm confident now that I'm I'm never going to drink again. Like okay, like that whole that whole idea is completely gone from my mind. So this was something that I wanted to touch on. One of the last questions that I asked you the last time we sat down was um, something that I'd been pondering for a while about 
people who choose to go sober to get themselves around either a substance dependency mm-hmm. or um, an, a more habitual dependency on the situation and mm-hmm. on on the feelings that come from that, um, and that there's a, I think there's an argument to be made that going completely sober still allows the substance to have some degree of control over you. Mm-hmm. But the, a reintroduction of it on your terms is the ultimate completion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said at the time that your feelings were you weren't going to drink for the foreseeable future mm-hmm. for as long as you could see. Yeah. One of the reasons being a fear about potential relapse and mm-hmm. also just that you didn't want the downstream effect of drinking full stop. Yep. Where are you at now with that? So the, the way I think about it now is that my problem never was the drinking. That my, the problem with the the drinking was a side effect of what was like inherently wrong with me, so it was an escape mechanism. So I would turn to that when I needed um, to funnel my energy and anxieties and situation and escape it. So I can now deal with that feeling elsewhere. Um, so I can deal with it um, through going for a walk, or I can deal with it with just you know, having 20 minutes of silence to myself and kind of going, processing it and getting it out of my system. So I don't need the, uh, to turn to alcohol to solve that problem anymore. Um, also because it's detrimental when you turn to alcohol and use it to solve them problems. So um, I don't I don't need it for I would use it before. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a com- uh, then it becomes a complete question of health and lifestyle choices because it's you're not dependent on it anymore. You're not you're not you're not a substance abuser, but you make a choice that why do I need to bring that back into my life? And if you can, if again I think I said last time if I can ever find a, a reason why I need to bring it back into my life, I will. Mm-hmm. But I can't right now. Right now, I, I and I, don't, I can't foresee situation where I never need to bring it back into my life. Mm-hmm. I just I just I can't. There's there's no. There's, there's no, I could do every like I said, I do everything I, I want. I can go out, I can spend time with friends, I can go to the pub. Like there's nothing, there's no situation where mm. I'd feel like I'd ever need to drink. Um, and it's just like I said, it's the same way. If if, I, if if we were sat here talking about cocaine, mm-hmm. and I said I'm never going to do cocaine again, mm-hmm. you wouldn't question me. Yeah. So I did a I did a podcast with Ed Latimore, who is a very, very clever guy. Again, sings from the sobriety hymn sheet. A little bit more. I think he's maybe six years sober now. Yeah. And um, released his podcast on, I think it was like New Year's Day this year. Uh, and his birthday came up shortly after. Wished him a happy birthday. And he's like, hey, man, I like, loved, loved speaking to you about this. And I linked him to our last chat. Loads of resonation with that as well. And uh, he said this line in it, man. Uh, fucking hell. Like, it just hit me so hard in the feels. And he said, alcohol is the only drug where if you don't do it, people assume you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one's going up to you and going, oh man, like why, why, why are you not taking heroin today? Yeah. Uh, like why are you not like sniffing a big, a big fat line on a morning or like after work or whatever? You're like, but with alcohol, actually someone very clever and contrarian on Twitter piped up and said, coffee. Coffee's like, the same. Caffeine's yeah. probably the same. Yeah. What? You don't drink coffee. Like, that's the only one. But then maybe 50 years ago, people would have said the same about smoking. Maybe 100 years ago, people would have been like, well, you don't smoke. Doctors were prescribing. There was adverts saying um, more doctors smoke camels than any other type of cigarette because that was some sort of, like, accolade for why you should smoke camels. <laughs> yeah, I've not thought, thought about smoking before. Yeah, you're probably, you're probably right because when it was first introduced, it was cool. It was cool, wasn't it? It was chewing tobacco and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, I've never thought about it. Yeah, but completely, it's the only drug you have to justify you don't not taking. <laughs> the only thing. Are you getting bored of having to justify it now? I don't need to justify it anymore. I think people... people it, everyone that you're in contact with now just knows? Everyone that... Uh, is, is two things, I think. I think it's been three years now, so I've gone from 23 to 26. Yep. Um, so when you mentioned that you don't drink to 26-year-old, they get it. Mm-hmm. So when you do it to 23-year-olds, they, they get it get a bit it. less. Yeah. yeah, That's so so interesting that there is a a line, and it is, it is around that time as well, um, yeah. certainly between the age of 23. I don't think that a, um, 
exponential growth in your own self-understanding can occur really before 22, 23. I just, there seems to be a moment that, <laughs> yeah, it, that, it's, that it hits. Know, you, don't know, you don't know yourself. You know, yeah. yeah. However, for some people, it's that you see people that are 40 and 50 years old who still haven't gone through that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's so interesting that there is there appears to be a, a big fat, the um, middle distribution of people who maybe didn't understand and now do yeah. between in the space of three years. 100%. So when it when it when it first when I first did it, I was like, oh, people were saying, "Oh, well, were you so boring? Why? Mm-hmm. You know, why didn't loser?" Now it's like, "Oh, I wish I could." Yeah, and that change is like is literally like three words, "Wish I could," mm-hmm. and that's when you know you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. And like you, I hear that over and over again when I meet somebody new mm-hmm. who is you know probably I wish I could do it. 25, so twenty five plus. They'll, they'll once once we f- once we finish, uh, I'm gonna take you through a couple of things that we're working on at the moment for now some of the listeners may know that we've got some things going on behind the scenes but i wrote um the equivalent of a manifesto um between christmas and new year which is a sobriety manifesto Mm -hmm. Uh, it was three thousand eight hundred words and i did the entire thing on my phone while i was watching christmas films yeah like my thumbs were wrecked um uh, so just rsi for days um wrote the whole thing on my phone and they were talking about so many of the things that we've brought up. The fact that if I don't drink, um, I'm going to miss out on social engagements. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you, so I want, want to hear what you would say if someone was like, oh, if I, if I don't drink, I'm worried that I'm going to feel like an outcast around my friends when they're out on a night out, or maybe they'll stop inviting me to things, mm-hmm. or maybe I just won't go. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to that? I'd say take a situation. Okay. Take probably one of the most, um, the top premium, the top social occasions that we have probably have in our uh, our age weddings, okay. Weddings are renowned for um, drunk drunkenness from family, from people. Imagine um, going uh, even to, the dogs drunk at even a wedding, the right? dogs drunk at a wedding. But <laughs> you know, take a situation where um, you can drive to the wedding, yeah. So you're not you're not in a situation where um, you're getting last minute like ready last minute taxi mm-hmm. turns up. Mm-hmm. Uh, taxis late or whatever. You con- don't have to get that awful minibus back for you have to get an, uh, 45 minutes from yeah. wherever in the sticks it's in been. two in the morning. Yeah. You're in complete control the whole time, okay? Um, you get there, you turn up. It's very awkward because there's so many different people from different backgrounds. So everyone's in the same situation. Not many people know know many people at the wedding. You probably know five or six people, you know, and you'll go and meet people throughout the night. So that's why weddings tend to have that kind of collective you know, oh, we well, it's drunk. a bonding. It's a bonding process, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because we, you know, we only need to cut the ice because we don't know many people here, so we're going <laughs> yeah. to do it. Uh, and that that always kind of snowballs, and you end up hearing horror stories of people getting drunk and embarrassing. You know, I went to a wedding previously where someone got so drunk that they thought they saw the the um, the groom with another girl on the day of the wedding mm. in the toilet, and he and he brought that out to public, and it caused the whole issue. And his girlfriend was fight like. All things always go wrong, wrong, wrong at Reading. Why do you want to be involved in that? Yeah, you know, being sober, you can go there in your own terms. You can enjoy. It, you can have good food. You can have good, good experience. You can dance a little bit, and then when it's ready to go, because there always is a time when you need to go. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as people say, "I want to stay one more drink." Yeah, there's always a time when you need to go. You get into your car and you leave, mm. and you wake up the next day and just look at yourself and said, "I did enjoy that. Mm. I enjoyed that. I had a good time." I enjoyed seeing it. I enjoyed it being sharing a special day with somebody. I can remember it. I can remember it. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to go for a go to the gym now. Yeah. So, I th- I, you're totally right. You're totally totally right about that. There's a, a a number of things that I wrote in the in this particular manifesto that that kind of trigger off the back of that. I've worked somewhere in the region of a thousand club nights across my career, and I can tell everybody that is listening that nothing worthwhile happens after one in the morning. No. Like nothing. it is the the absolute worst of human behavior manifest like fights and club kissing like no one really wants to be a part of either of those things even if you're enjoying the club kissing at the time you cringe about it the next day um then when it comes to the social engagements thing i think what happens a lot is if you're drinking especially heavily 
you'll be less picky about your social engagements yep. because you know that if you've got shit or boring friends or you've got to go to some party that you probably don't want to go to anyway, kind of doesn't really matter because you can just sedate the boredom by getting lashed. Yep. And you're like, okay, so hang on. What you're saying is- All I'm the go- awkwardness as well. And the, yeah, and all of those sort of things. Downstream from the awkwardness um, or what's referred to as approach anxiety and pick apart is three for both men and women. If the only way that you can go up and speak to someone at a wedding is once you've had a drink- you have never cultivated the capacity to actually go up and speak to somebody. Yeah. You've outsourced it to this exogenous version of courage, mm-hmm. and, which and, is alcohol. And it's so, you are so much, so many, so much better learning that skill than relying on alcohol mm-hmm. because going sober, that's one thing you do learn. You learn to have the self-confidence in yourself and that you hold yourself in a high safe esteem to be able to approach someone and have a conversation with them. And like people are trying to buy that, you know, the whole quick fix lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is a quick fix in that situation. Or you could take a step back, invest in yourself, grow your confidence and then be able to hold yourself in any social occasion. It goes back to what you said about your uh, coping with stresses from work mm-hmm. where you're like, I've had a hard day. I'm running this business that's essentially like me holding on to a hundred mile an hour speed train, like just with one arm on the final like the final thing at the very end, like desperately trying to like, I'm flapping around in the wind. And um, your, one of your coping mechanisms was to use alcohol, but that mm-hmm. means that you can't cope. Yep. Like as a byproduct of that, if you take the alcohol away, so it is a question that probably a lot of people are thinking. I don't think we got into it last time. What was coping with stressful situations like the first few times that you um, that you weren't drinking when you were no longer able to sedate yourself on that. You, you know, you had everyone, you know, the feeling still existed. The feeling still existed. So I was still feeling bad and stressful and I had that emotions inside me. So I had to do something about it. So what I did was I turned to another, I turned to something else. So I, I focused my energy at first on food. So I'd have like a really moreish meal mm. just to, to forget about like to take yourself. My so you've switched the coping mechanism yeah. from one to another. Yeah. Or, or I'd, or I'd um, um, go to bed early to forget about it. Mm. Anything, which, anything which kind of gave me the that's, sense. That's escapism there almost, yeah. right? Okay. Anything to give me that sense of escaping. Yeah. Alcohol does it in one way because you're blabbered. Sleeping does it another time because you just forget and you go away. Yeah, and food does it because you kind of you know completely focused, fixated on the Moorish food, and then mm-hmm. you kind of do feel a little bit afterwards because you just put crap inside you. But you know it's short term, and then you, mm. then you you are tired and go to sleep. So um, it was taking that feeling, that emotion, and processing it in a different way. Mm. And then there must have been a point at which you transitioned from that to it not actually, you're not needing to use any of those mechanisms and you actually being able to yeah. sit with the emotion. So so it's simple, simple, simple cognitive behaviour therapy. So take the, the action-reaction, um, stimulus-response. The stimulus was stress, the response was food. Okay, so now you get stimulus-response, the food was bad at first, it was, you know, it was pizzas and burgers. Because mm-hmm. to, to interject there, for people who are looking at you now, they wouldn't know that you were fat like no, two, real two fat. and a bit years ago. Real fat. Proper fat. Proper fat. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. So Jiggle as you go downstairs fat. Literally. But now, now you look fantastic. Like you've got the perfect runner's yeah. build, which is good because that's what you do. Yeah. Um, so then I just swapped that to tons of food and tons of healthy food. Mm-hmm. So I'd have like four salmon fillets with like tons of broccoli, <laughs> with mayo, you know, like <laughs> shit loads of food. Yeah. And then obviously over time you can manage that down, then portions down and bring it down. So yep, yep, yep. I got to the point where if I was having a bad day, I didn't want to eat salmon and broccoli. Mm. That'd literally be my stimulus response. <laughs> Shit day, feel crap. Salmon and broccoli. Fantastic. Can you imagine how many people would say, Do you know what it is? I, I had a bit of a dependency on alcohol for a while at a young age. And then uh, I discovered salmon and broccoli and <laughs> I, I was like, I'm fucking sweet. But yeah, man, like, uh, you know, it, I, I genuinely believe, and we come at this from two different angles, and um, I'm now six months into 18. So Why 18? Because I'd completed six without any challenge. Mm-hmm. I'd done six 
through winter time, all of my all my stints of sobriety have almost been the same period, which has been just after Halloween, yeah, until around about May time, yeah. And I know that the most challenging period for me is going to be through summer. I don't know whether you still get this, but for me, in a beer garden, British summer, six p.m., sun's low, good music on, and I just think, fucking Copperberg, like. <laughs> It would be, oh. it's just, there's nothing quite, now Copperberg do a Copperberg Blue, yeah, which is which is kind of cool. They've only recently brought that out. But there's just something about that where I was like, that's, I don't get itches to drink. Yeah. I'm not a big drinker naturally. But that's one time, and I was like, right, I want to see, first off, I completed six months. So I was like, 12 seems like a figure, but 18 seems like a motherfucker. So yeah. like, I'm going to do 18. And by doing it, I knew that I'd go through two winters that would be a little bit less difficult, but one summer, which would be pretty tough. The, 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 I feel like there is a replacement for everything, and like for Copperbergs, kombucha. <laughs> like honestly, oh, man, you can't go into a British pub, like as the the Black Bull or something in in, <laughs> in Old Edge, and be like, uh, "Excuse me, I see that you've got Copperberg on the menu. I wondered if you have any uh, kombucha because uh, my microbiome in my gut." Is saying to me, by the way, have you heard that Lord of the Rings are coming out on Warhammer? Like, <laughs> you just summed me up. <laughs> no, I've just completely rumbled you. Summed me up. That's what I sound like as well. Uh, no, no, but, it's, not, it's not. Um, but that, that, it gives you that, that feeling. Like, I was like, and do you know what? The, like, like, kombucha has, is fermented tea. Mm-hmm. So it has like a little bit of, it's not alcoholic in any sense of the magic, mm-hmm. but it's got, it's got fermented tea in it, so it does mm-hmm. is triggers on some form of similar pathway. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it does it does feel very refreshing. It gets that. Mm-hmm. Like my thing was a, always a pint after football. Yeah, like I'd got play you. football. I'd always want to have like a real pint, and I and I couldn't. The alcohol, the alcoholic beers were crap. So I just changed that for sparkling water mm. because the fizziness is the same. Yeah, I get and, that. And you get that sense of just chugging it down. I really, I really hate sparkling water, man. It just tastes... But kombucha. Kombucha, man. I'm, kombucha. I'm fine for it. So I want to move on to some stuff to do with social media. I was talking to uh, Theo on the way up and we were laughing about the fact, um, I don't know whether you saw recently, but the UFC, it was maybe about three or four months ago now, they put out a tweet and it was a big announcement. It might have been a 100th anniversary of something or whatever, they put out this huge tweet that obviously spent a fair bit of time building up to it. Big fuck off typo right in the middle of it with a spelling error. And there's no speed at which you can get onto the internet to delete that tweet like quickly enough. And it just started getting retweeted and like 5K, 10K retweets, a big old fat tweet. I wanted to know about, you guys have got, was it 600 million reach or something like that? Yeah, yeah, in the million, hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions of reach online. Yeah. That means, like, and as much as you can have the things are prepped in advance and there's a, a brand design and an architecture and there's briefings and this, that, and the other, at the end of the day, there's a person with a button <laughs> who has to press it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You, all of this funnels down to one person's finger. Yeah. And then they have to just... Like pre- they press it once, and once it's gone, that's it. Like it's out into the world, and I just wanted to ask what it feels like to have that kind of titanic responsibility, not only for yourself but the brands that are behind you. Oh God, what does it feel like? Um, Do you get nervous before like a big campaign goes out, or is that kind of stopped now for you? Um, if that man presses a button and there's a typo in it, like. Dom, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm really it's sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's frustrating. Twitter is the only platform where you can't edit it. Yes. So, like, Facebook, Instagram, you've got control and you edit, and like, we aren't as dependent on Twitter anymore. So right. We don't do much on Twitter. Okay. So, like, uh, like historically, <laughs> it was a nightmare. Like, it was like, oh, f- <laughs> you'd be there like, oh god. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like now, it's like. 
Twitter, like either the products are there, like to to edit. Mm-hmm. So you get like if it happens, it's annoying, but you get around it. But mm. with with Twitter, you've still got. Well, on my own person, when I tweet and I get, get a spell mistake, I am just devastated. <laughs> I am like, oh, Dom, are you, you more bothered about messing it up yourself or for, for for clients, or is it equal? I don't do. It. I don't. I don't run the clients, so it's it's hard for me to like. Put myself if in you my see shoes. someone who's a representative, for yeah, your it, company, it's right? like it's just that feeling of like bollocks. Like no, like in them situations, almost like no one's to blame because it's a mis- it's a, everyone makes mistakes. Yeah, they didn't mean to only put and one f in effective. Yeah, no one ever meant to do that. Like if it was if it was like gross negligence, then people would like that's a different story. But yeah, like, I mean, I'm in a situation where I I I am really bad at spelling. I'm really bad. I'm dyslexic. Mm-hmm. So like when people make mistakes, I completely understand it because there's times when I read back things I write mm. and just words are missing. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm like, I'm sure I put that word in there. Some of the sentences absent. It makes no sense. Moving forward, what do you think is going to happen with social media as, as we go on? I don't know whether you listened to the podcast that I did with Rory Sutherland, which was about the psychology of advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him the same question. Over the next five years, do you think that people are going to continue to give away their data for free? and their attention for free? What do you think is the future of the social media and the attention economy as we move forward now? It's exactly that. So you, you, you are competing on the t- attention, okay? And what will cause the, the biggest shift is if consumers realise the value of their attention and their value of their time. Um, and then they start choosing to spend that time wisely. I think if you look at the suite of products that exist at the moment... Uh, in that world, you have entertainment, which is predominantly TV. Um, you have gaming, which is always growing. You have um, friends and real life interactions you put in there as well. And then you have social media. You know, they're probably the four. Um, you probably put sport in there as well. It's probably as a separate mm-hmm. thread. And they're probably the five places where people spend their time. Mm-hmm. Um And then it's just the question is where do people want to spend their time? When you look at some things like entertainment, is there is there a negative connotations to sitting there and watching Netflix series? Mm. Probably not. You could probably do that, and you could probably feel good about yourself. Um, Gaming, probably again, and probably more evils in gaming, Mm -hmm. but also some positives coming out of it as well with kind of the the skills that people are learning. Uh, So people are putting more and more time into gaming, social media has a lot of negative commentations. Are they going to be opting to choose to spend their time on social media with the backlash that is, backlashes that are coming out now? Um, they will probably be on social media, but when you take the emergence of a platform like TikTok, I asked someone, Why, what do you like about TikTok? And she she said, and hand on heart, she said, it's the only platform where no one is being arrogant, talking about themselves, bragging, and it's just fun. Um, what's what's TikTok? Oh, I don't know what's TikTok. Yeah. TikTok is um like it's like a endless scroll video. It's like Vine essentially, but for full screen. Okay. Uh, really big. Seven hundred fifty million followers. Really big in China and the UK. It's really growing really quickly. Okay. Is it the thing where people do memes to like singing? Yeah, that was, that's what it was at first, but it's evolved now. Okay. And it's it's got no messaging. It's got no. Um, like, and like pure IGTV. Yeah, yeah, and people have just been nice on it. Okay. So like people like it's entertaining. It's mm-hmm. again, it's it's fun. So it hasn't got the you, uh, people updating them statuses. It hasn't got any competitive work. aspects. And yeah. Stuff. So people are, I feel people now are looking to spend their time in more positive ways because we're all starting to wake up to the point that our attention is valuable. Mm-hmm. And we're all starting to understand that we have only have time uh, left. So we are being more wise about how we spend our time. Mm. Hence why I think there's um, this middle part about spending time with family and friends is growing because there's some key traits which key things which are kind of like I feel like the world's moving back into connectivity mm. in general so for the first time in 24 years physical book sales increased so people are now buying physical books again okay because they want that that feel that time away from screen yep 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 so that, that entire digitalization is I've it's probably not reached peak for all industries but it's kind of reached a point where people are now starting to value connectivity and touching and physicality again mm. um so people are now spending more time with their friends. And when you go out with your friends now, people are actively saying, get off your phone. Yeah. What do you think that means for yourself, obviously having to trigger on these industries? Mm-hmm. 
It, it means that as a as a business or personally, as a business, as a, as a business, you know, we we are competing in the economy, uh, attention economy. So we have to play where people are playing. So in the gaming space, that's a growing market. What mm-hmm. can we do there? Mm-hmm. Can we grow a, a gaming publishers? Can we work on in in gaming products and marketing, um, entertainment? Should, uh, brands want to move into the branded entertainment space. Can we produce content which goes straight to Amazon, Netflix, where people can have piece of attention so for us you know we we are a social first business but that doesn't mean we don't operate in other areas mm. what we do is we take the insights and knowledge from social which can mean social media but social interactions um and social relationships and then that we build a marketing campaign off the back of that so that the social insights could tell us that we need to do a out of home campaign mm. so it, it is um, we're, we're, we're not dependent on any platform, we're not dependent on any product, mm. um, but what we are dependent on is the data that we collect from social media. Because Which will inform things moving forward. Do we do an experiential campaign? Do we do a whatever yeah. campaign? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the, the business model is, is solid, it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's in a good position and it's not dependent on if... Instagram switched off tomorrow, we'd still be here. Yeah. If Facebook turned off tomorrow, we'd still be here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, might make might make the next couple of weeks a bit difficult. Uh, You'd be like, oh, bollocks. Probably worse, with, got client, probably worse with clients than us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, well, we, you, you can move between... We can navigate, we can we can navigate, we can look at new areas, we can launch new services. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at development, obviously, help to in the studio, podcasting. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, would you say podcasting is a social product? Two years ago, probably not. Yes, probably now. Mm-hmm. It fits into that. Uh, space that we're launching branded podcasting for, for clients. Pretty little thing that podcast yep. is unbelievable. Yep, yep. So we're, we're being reactive and we're moving to where the, the growth in the market is. So um, that's that, that's our mantra, you know, as long as we're ever changing and we're keeping brands at the forefront of what's possible, we'll be fine. And that what's possible can be anywhere. So be social. if you are the uh, someone who does social media, either as part of a small company or potentially even just as a consultant on your own, mm-hmm continuing to be um, adaptive is is going to be key over the next few years? Is <laughs> yeah, that one of the things you'd I, say? I'd say also as well, probably take social media out your name because it, it, social media, I think it puts people in a box. Mm. You know, the, the what we're talking to clients now is about serious business problems and how they can use social to solve them. Not just social media, so it's like a wider, wider, wider breadth of social uh, to solve their business problems. You know, not just looking at when I think social media manager, I think schedule tweets to the person that presses the button. Yeah. When I think social insights and social strategy, I think how can we use the information from social media to determine where this brand's going to go? Mm. Exam- example, um, take KFC. KFC have probably been the best when it comes to social media um, in the fast food space. Mm-hmm. They Their entire campaign to launch um, f- new fries was driven through social. So they were doing social listening and seeing what people were saying about their fries. And there was tons and tons of tweets of people saying that KFC have the worst fries. They do. Or they did. They did. So obviously that social insight there and that conversation with people has informed natural business change. Mm. They've gone, okay, our fries are crap. This is what people are saying about them. 30 years ago, if you sold a bad, bad, bad set of fries to someone, no one would ever tell you. There's no feedback mechanism. No feedback mechanism. So people have actually been looking at social media, what people say about KFC. Mm. They've identified a problem and they've turned it into a marketing campaign. Do you, or how do you categorise that? Then you're totally right. Is that is that using social? Probably not. Would a social media agency class itself as that? Also, again, probably not because it's not to do with. You're right. I think social media. I think about the guy that schedules the, mm-hmm. the Facebook posts. Mm-hmm. I think the person that sat behind Ads Manager. Yeah. I don't think about the person who is using the inherent discourse and direct line of communication between yourself and the customer to inform more typical business activities. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think biz, big biz businesses are now starting to realise is that the social media is no longer just a, a, a team of two people who run the pages. Mm. That's where your insights are coming from. That's where you can actually understand your customer, your product, your future. Also bi-directional as well. Exactly, exactly. So there's so many instances now where brands are going straight to people on social media, take Qantas yesterday. Um, quant two days ago, uh, a ten-year-old boy wrote wrote a letter to the CEO saying that he's just starting an airline. Um, handwritten, he's asking for advice from the CEO of Quanta, <laughs> uh, and the CEO replied, and he replied saying, 
like a proper le- proper letter saying this is what you do. Headed paper, full headed work. paper, everything yep. signed. You put that on social media. That takes what twenty minutes of the CEO's time. Put it on yep. social media. Like the, the the brand sentiment that generates from yeah. them looking at that, like that is a nice thing to do. Yeah. I like you as a brand. Yeah. That that the uh, the media they'll get from that will be bigger than any advertisement campaign they could get. Mm-hmm. And that's from twenty minutes of time, five minutes of the social media manager to post it. Yeah. And it's out there. Do you think that moving forward? there is the potential for, well, I know that this is already the case, but do you think that customers and yourself need to be wary about people triggering those mechanisms in a manipulative fashion? Obviously, it's easy for someone to start faking those kinds of situations yeah, com- because it, it's we know that this is the sort of thing that will com- resonate with our... Yeah, completely. And I, when I saw that, I thought it was past them. <laughs> you know, I've wearing get Mr. Skeptical hat on here. I'm like... I'm pretty sure we've pitched that similar idea before about yep. about that to to clients because it is what works on social. But I did go a little deeper, and you know I'm probably um, in the top uh, percentile of people who will scepticize around it mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because I understand social better than most people and understand brands. So um, when I start hearing people thinking is it real or is it fake, that's when I'll probably be a bit concerned. Mm. Um, but it, it's the most important thing now is. The two things, most important things are authenticity as a brand. Are you authentically who you say you are? And if you're not, people aren't going to buy into you. We did a piece of research which said for the first time ever, um, brand values and brand um, causes which they supported, like social causes, was more important than price point. So wow. literally the, what the brand says about you is more important than price. People will pay more money if it means they're buying or seem to be buying from somewhere which has a positive social impact. And then personalization. So personalization, talking to people where they want to be spoken to, talking to people how they want to be spoken to. So I'm I'm at an age now where as a consumer, I shop on my terms. You don't determine the terms that we shop on. I'm not going to follow the full funnel approach. I don't want that. People don't want that anymore. They don't. They they have so many abilities to purchase here, purchase there. They'll decide where they want to be purchased. And as a brand, you have to you have to not think of you're in control and driving people down the funnel you have to be able to speak to them where they want to be spoken to. Mm. So that's why you're seeing the rise of loads of social commerce and other areas. Uh, It's like taking personal shoppers online because everyone has a different way they want to experience things. Mm. Uh, And that's what the brands that will win will be the ones that can cater wide rather than narrow. Think about if you have at one point purchased a shop, you're never going to be able to cater for everyone because not everyone will pass that shop and people will not go out their way to go to that shop. The whole days of when we were, when we were kids and we were like, oh, I really want to go to the travel centre. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen anymore. Kids are not like waking up saying I want to go to the travel centre. I don't know. Is 17, the, at sixteen, seventeen, and spending the day walking around there. True. Do you think that um, at a younger age bracket, like the five or the I guess the four to kind of eleven age, do you think that it's going to be difficult to replicate that magic of walking around somewhere like Toys R Us or? a large toy store there must be something inherent that triggers on kids oh okay so this this is what this is this is my, one of my biggest i oh god toys r us missed the opportunity to be the home of toys okay they should have they pivoted. could have gone they stayed as blockbuster but could have been netflix yeah they could have turned it into an experience yeah you go there you play with the toys you have games you have playstations everything like I, ikea like ikea if they did that they'd still be here. Ikea is basically Toys R Us for married couples, isn't it? Yeah. Take, take, yeah. Take, you know, you, you, you know, if I, you know, you see it now in M&S, M&S are putting cafes and stuff into all their shops because they know their demographic wants to come and have a coffee. Mm-hmm. All right. And Man, then, I go into, there's an M&S right next to me and it is 2 p.m. Wednesday afternoon yeah. rammed. Good food. Absolutely yeah. rammed. You know what you're getting? Everyone's having salmon. Yeah. You know what you're getting? You're getting good food. You're going to have a couple of hours there. You're going to pick up a... Read a book. Read a book, you know. Yeah. But they've catered to their audience. Toys R Us should have pivoted and created an experience within their start. start. Mm. Those, those that will remain will facilitate experiences, will make it a place... Like, take the bar scene, for example. The bar scene's always ahead because there's so many micro-trends. You know, you take Dirty Martini. Mm. How many girls and people do you see with a picture over them on their Instagram saying, get your halo dirty? Yeah. How many people go there just because they want a picture there? Yeah. You know, it's it's that it's that experience which which physical stores still allow you to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, coming back to the point of people going turning against digital aspects slightly, 
if you can facilitate an experience, mm. take um, IKEA, you know, you walk around it, you're still going to purchase something. And the best example of this, going back to what we were saying earlier, Harry Potter Land. Unbelievable. You walk through there and you're literally throwing money out. Yeah, I would, I would have, I would you have. You a bit of butterbeer straight away. Yeah, that was the first thing I did. Have you been to the one uh, in LA? No, I've been to one in uh, Florida. Oh man, well, I'm going to guess there'll be similar. I think yeah. the one in Florida was f- first, first yeah, and then yeah. the one in, but so the one in LA is a little bit newer. But man, like it, I was, see, before we started, you were like, how old were you when you went? And I was like harping on about how much I liked it. And I was like, I was 30 when I went. And I, I, the, my inner 11 year old was just losing its shit. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was fantastic. Like it was, and you're totally right. It was experiential. And there is, until VR or AR gets to an ungodly degree of fidelity, you're not going to be able to recreate that. Um, so yeah, and again, fucking shout out club promoters, like the guys at Dirty Martini with the the halo backdrop. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, just search Dirty Martini on Instagram and you will see thousands of girls and guys, some guys, posing in front of this particular backdrop. And we've triggered off the same. So we saw that uh, Dubai was using a lot of flower walls, fake flower walls. A grand later, we've got a flower wall in our club. Students are getting photos. Every student's now got a photo in front of our flower wall. Everyone. And that's the thing. Like, if you you play in that experience space, you're going to have, like, you're going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Right. You will, you will find a way as long as you're constant, constantly innovating as well about what that experience is. So does that mean that if you're a purely online business you uh, and you're not prepared to actually make that move into the physical world, mm-hmm. you're potentially going to start to run behind a little bit here? No, again, it completely comes down to knowing your audience. So okay, yeah. we were talking about dealing with kids here with Toys R Us, so mm-hmm. they, they want to play. When we're looking at something like a Boohoo or a pretty little thing, they understand what their audience wants. They want convenience. They want fast fashion. They want outfits for the, the weekend. Yep. You know, again, it comes back to the point we're saying, social allows you to understand your audience and their behaviour. Yeah. You know, you need, to, you need to own that lane and stay in it. So a brand which does both, Holland and Barrett, okay? Their, their, their mantra is that they want their people who work for them to be experts of health, well-being. They actually are. Yeah, they're really good. They're Excuse really good. me, can you tell me what's good for joint health, please? Yep. And then, sure enough, five minutes later, you know everything there is to know about omega three acids and exactly. And stuff, yeah. So they've got a, they've obviously got a wide range of customers. They've catered very well for. Um, one of my favourite jokes is that um, Holland and Barrett have an aging uh, audience, <laughs> an, age, an aging customer, which obviously shows it's working. Yeah. Good point. Very good point, man. That's that's some that's some marketing jokes for you right there. Yeah. So, um, but their their that 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 method of understanding a customer, how you translate that online to a twenty five year old girl who's looking at um, improving her hormones and getting balance, better balance. Mm. Say my girlfriend, for example. How can she have that same experience? Better hair or nails in, or exactly. skin or whatever. have that experience online that she still gets in store. And if them two things can mirror each other. They'll be able to cater for everyone. So is that would that be the advent of things like live chat? Live chat, personalization, WhatsApp, having WhatsApp conversations with them, mm-hmm. Instagram DMs, all these areas where you can have touch points with people, yep. having conversations with them. I'll tell you what's hilarious. So um, in between our last uh, our last podcast and this one, I went to LA last year and I was like, man, I need to go and see one of these um, legal weed dispensaries. Oh, they like, are. So for anyone who hasn't seen this, if you can imagine walking into an Apple store, like where at the back there's a genius bar, you go in at the front, you've got to go through a little bit of security, and there's a security guy in the door. You've got to go through a little bit of security, but then you walk in and there's iPads everywhere and there's super futuristic looking things and you can spring, uh, move a little vent to one side and smell the particular, I'm not a like a weed connoisseur, so I haven't got a clue what I was on about. And you can go to the back and at the back there's a group of like the geniuses and you're like, oh, well, sometimes I struggle to sleep and I've got this pain in my knee and then every so often the dog annoys me and you're like, yes, sir, well, what you need is our new sativa hybrid blend with this, this and this. And you're like, I, I just couldn't get away. I literally had my CBD all on me that, right. I got, that I got from Holland Barrett yesterday. Did you? <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was on me. I thought, I thought I was going to pull out and do a little... Wave it around. Yeah, but it's, you know, um, 
that that experience you go you, you know you think vape stars vape stars at the other end of it they've got a guy with a tattoo and a beard and that <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah. alright mate yeah. yeah but you take that as a premium aspect that the way you feel as a customer going through that have you been into one of the I've, dispensaries I've been to one of them I've been to one in Vegas yeah the way you walk through it the way they care for you as a customer so special it's like this is what retail needs to be like and coming back to the point it's on your terms yep they they and it's it's you are you are the person in control. No one's trying to like um, like Tesco's when they they hide the bread at the end of the end of the the shops. So you've got to walk for everything. And, mm-hmm, you know they're, mm-hmm. they're not tricking you. No one's there's no tactics. No yeah. tactics. It's just come on. So yeah, I think that's 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 the the key is that personalization of conversation, um, personalization of marketing in general, and that's not just putting your name on a on a on a coke can. It's much deeper than that. And the authenticity of who you are as a brand, living up to who you say you are, um, is where people will win. And I think that's a, when you take that when you take that back to how people connect. That's how you win as a person. Mm. You're authentically who you are. You know, you're not two faced. You 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 have value. You live by them, and you're personal. You, what you touched on earlier on is super correct and the podcast that I actually did with Theo and Eve for you guys on Social Minds triggered on a lot of this which is what we refer to as social equity and self-branding mm-hmm. the fact that the, I'm wearing a Nike SB t-shirt what does that say or this says I can infer X, Y and Z about Chris due to hashtag that ad. hashtag ad <laughs> um, this is actually from the skate, uh, skatehut.co.uk thank you very much Lincoln code blah um, but um, that says this particular thing about me yeah. And you're like, okay, we move that forward to club nights. One of the most important things for us is you got a dirty martini. Like, what does that say about you? Okay, so here are the downstream implications. You're going to come back to my Warhammer, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to come back to the Warhammer. <laughs> no one knows about that. That's your secret Warhammer room. Um, and then, you know, all of the all of these different things. And you're totally right. I can 100% believe that brands' values and the causes that they support are more important than price point now. Yeah. Because everybody is searching for some degree of meaning. Everybody is held culpable and responsible due to this always on communication and this kind of serendipitous meeting that happens mm-hmm. by people being online and seeing what you do, seeing your purchase history, seeing what you watch. Like if you've got a Spotify play, like you can hook your Spotify up to your Facebook so that your Facebook displays what you've most recently been listening to on Spotify, which means that almost your music... And your Tinder sh- as well. And your Tinder. Tinder that can link Spotify now, yeah. So oh, God. T- so yeah. you can go on and be like... If people still use Tinder, I think they use Tinder and Hinge. Uh, but you can, yeah, you can build out what people most listen to and stuff like that as well. I don't think I would do very well on Tinder if I had no, my I Spotify playlist on there. There's some dodgy stuff. But yeah, like, What's you your, know... What were you last... What you touched on was 2008? It's... For me, it's all... It's a lot of metal. Like it's a lot of yeah, yeah. Bring Me the Horizon, a lot of architects because I'm when I tend to be listening to music, I'll either listen to Anjuna Deep, which is my working podcast, which is unbelievable. Shout out to James Grant, who is one of the best producers in the world. Um or I'm lifting heavy heavy things and yeah. running fast. And that means I need some angry music. So yeah, th- yeah. those are the two <laughs> ends, like the opposite ends no, of the no. spectrum. I do I do the angry music for for running. Like a little bit of Ventus Shikari. Yeah. How are you um how are you getting on with your running now? Because you were doing like did the London Marathon, yeah, last year. How do you find that? Tough. You're like you are a long guy to run, yeah. right? Like long God. distance. Your body just like you realize things about your body that you never knew could happen to like you just get pains places you know you could get London pains. Marathon a, a full one full one yeah yeah, yeah. you just got pains you know you could get pain you get pains it was just what was your worst pain did you get any chafing no I was fortunate I vastly chafe free. I, I did I did a marathon like five years ago so I knew that was going to come so I just like Vaseline up everywhere nice so that was fine it was um, really real weird one there in the kind of calf abductor where that comes in yep um, like, pain, like my shoulder my yeah shoulder. that's bizarre from supporting yourself a little yeah, bit maybe just, just running running posture IT band went yeah so I, yeah but but it was a fantastic experience and to do London Marathon it's, uh, it's a bucket list so um, yeah I, I love it and I think it was one of the things which really pushed me and I, I did it and I know I could do it. Um, so now I'm like in a really place where, I, again, I'm, I'm looking for the next challenge, but the problem is like whatever the next challenge is, I want it to be bigger. What do you think? What are you thinking? <clears throat> I'm thinking like a half Ironman at some point, mm-hmm. but it's going to have to be bigger 
and that comes with a massive training requirement yeah and it comes with a massive lifestyle shift so i'm taking a bit of like um a year out just to, re- to re- reset body mm-hmm. um build sort out some of the kind of f- fundamental issues i've got with my body in terms mm-hmm. of like i've got my left leg being my right leg so when i run i'm mm-hmm. a little bit skew hence the it band get a bit more flexible, get a bit more strength and stability mm-hmm. and then have a better foundation to say, okay, what do I want to go do next? Really properly build on it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm, at that, I'm at that point now and I'm like, I am, I am, anything I do next, I, I am, the way I am, I want to get bigger. Yeah. Um, That's so, like just, you think COO of big company, immediately you think he probably races fast cars semi-professionally on a weekend. He does Ironmans. Like he's probably like a free climbing rock climber. It just appears to be this thing where people at the top of the tree, um, they have a, a, a particular a, a mindset that, uh, yeah. that has hunger attached yeah. to it. And and one of the one of the byproducts of that is that I don't think that you can switch it off necessarily. And it would appear that now that you've removed alcohol and you've relinqu- you've got this extra twenty to thirty hours a week mm-hmm. where you're not either drinking or hungover. You're like, oh God, I really need to do something. Because even what's hilarious was if alcohol was a sport, you'd have probably been like be at least at national, oh, national champion. Honestly, I'd be, yeah, I'd be regional, definitely be best at it. Yeah. I'd so do, I was you'd the even best. taken alcohol to the extreme. I was the best at drinking. <laughs> Number one drinker. So yeah, like, you know, it's it, extreme. Yeah, you that do it. absolute extremist yeah. approach to things yeah. is, is characteristic. It is, yeah. And it is, and it is the reason why, again, going back to it, I don't think I can go back to alcohol. Mm. Because I uh, I'm extreme, yeah. I will like that's why I'm so fortunate that I could just give up. Yeah, like, I am so fortunate. Like my body says, I said to myself, "All right, you're not going to drink anymore," and it was done. Yeah, it, 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 you know, in you know, fine print was a bit more, but yeah. it was a case of, "All right, I'm going to challenge myself now. Mm. I'm going to do it." I spoke uh, to Mike Kaju about this, and I said that um, one of the things that I think about people who hit rock bottom or some degree close to rock bottom, i.e. they have a sufficiently traumatic experience that springboards them back out of it, mm-hmm. is that you are given a, a degree of motivation due to the pain that you've gone through that does enable you to move forward. What I think is particularly malicious and nefarious and subversive is for people who are maybe a a bottle of wine every couple of nights mm-hmm. during the week and maybe a bottle one night on a weekend kind of person because that is the silent killer that people yep. don't really see. Yep. It's There's no sufficiently traumatic situation they've gone through. They're waking up with a fuzzy head maybe. There's some downstream longevity problems. It's, it just, it's a gradual decline. It's, it's death by a thousand cuts. Day by day you never realise anything. Year by year you never notice anything but slowly you are slipping. Decade by decade you decade do. Decade by yeah. decade you do. Yeah. So there was a study done by uh, The Lancet which I will link in the show notes below, uh, which was done over a million people, 26 countries. And um, it looked at the negative consequences of alcohol consumption on health. And they found that alcohol is an overall mortality risk. And the synopsis to the whole study is there is no safe level of alcohol consumption. Zero. There is no, I'm getting... Uh, particular downstream benefits from having red wine because of something that comes through from the grapes there mm-hmm. is you're netting a negative there is no i can have one beer a week because wheat does whatever whatever netting a negative there is no safe level of alcohol consumption and to reframe the conversation people are having about alcohol is cool like if you want to go out and drink that is fine but you have to concede that that drink is either at the best keeping your life the same length or making it shorter. And you're like, every night out and every drink that you have is bringing you closer to death. And that's a fact. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. It is not going to extend your life. It may keep it the same or bring it shorter. And you're like, when that's the cost that I have to pay, am I prepared to pay it? You're going to drink again. Yeah, so I will do. Yeah. I will do. Um, I I I genuinely believe that anything taken to an extreme, anything done in excess, it can be an error for some people. Good example was last year I pushed my solitude to excess. I created my version of uh, Carl Jung's Bollingen Tower, which was 
a deep work space for me to really, really sort of dig my heels into breaking some habits that I wanted. I've developed a reading habit, which I'm super proud of. I'd, I've developed like my mindfulness has gone through the roof, which is fantastic. I had to pay a price for that. And the price was moving beyond solitude towards something that, that touched on loneliness. Mm-hmm. And that was a price I had to pay. Mm-hmm. Most people say, and you know, I'd be, I spend some time on my own doing deep work, like Cal Newport's loving life at the moment, sat in an office on his own, soundproofed, like this probably. Um, But I had to pay a price for that. And there is, when it comes to not drinking, there are certain experiences that I want to have. And one of those includes drinking. However, I can genuinely see each time that I've gone sober and gone back to drinking, the window of drinking has got shorter. So first I did six months sobriety, then six months of drinking. Then the second time I did it, I did six months of sobriety and three months of drinking. But within that time, I only went out four times. Mm -hmm. So that was four nights out. And now this time I can see I'll do it. I'll probably touch base with it again and be like, okay, this is how it feels. This is what it means. It may be once, it may be twice. And I can see that being kind of the way that it goes. Yeah, and I can come back to the point where I said I went out at the weekend and it's still I'm still fiddling it now. Yeah. After, eight, after 18 months of not drinking. Yeah, still didn't drink. No, but after 18 months of you not drinking, that yeah. first night out. You're going to kill me. That's when we're going to do the next podcast. Fantastic. The next day. The next I, day. We're going to sit here and I'm going to ask you the same question. <laughs> I'm just going to lay my head on the microphone like this. <laughs> that's we're, a good point, man. That's when we'll do it because, you know, I, it's the same journey I followed in the first six months. I was kind of like, I was holding on to some things, some experiences. Yeah. And I think it's the next six months, which are probably the most interesting for you to go through. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, into, I'm into that now. So this is nearly especially, months. Especially summer. Especially summer. Nearly month seven. So I'm going away. I'm going away a lot this year. Um, got a lot of things that I want to do. And, you know, I think, I, I hope that we increase to, uh, increase the encouragement of people like your friend that you met in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to think, do I want to break free of, of this rite of passage, which, bizarrely somehow seems to have manifested itself in society where everybody drinks and I feel like I have to as well. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, to, to take the cliches from the world that we're living in right now, it's about taking back control, mm-hmm. you know, and having been in complete control of you and yourself and your actions at all points, um, wherever you are. Well, that's the, that's the bizarre thing. Uh, again, this is in the manifesto. I promise that I haven't shown it to Don before, <laughs> but he is, he is almost quoting directly from it. And it shows that we've all, we've, both of us have come to the same conclusions without having... Yeah. Um, actually uh, spoken about it and it was that what I want to get through to people is that drinking is not normality normality is 100% cognitive control maximum Mm -hmm. efficiency total um, uh, total control of your personality your actions and that drinking impedes that the only reason that people see sobriety as something which is so bizarre is because it's uncommon. Yeah. But if you want to be at the close to the best in your field, you need to be uncommon amongst uncommon men or women. You've got to be weird. You do have to be weird. And thankfully we both are. Don, man, it's, it's been absolutely awesome. I'm going to navigate these microphones. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. We will do number, we will do number three. Uh, time. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you press subscribe. Give us a like. Dom and his blog. Are you still doing the teetotal runner stuff? Not as much anymore, but I'll okay. um, just do the Instagram. Through. Instagram. Link will be in the show notes below. Thank you very much. <laughs>